Content warning. This podcast episode contains mentions of violence and suicide. If you are contemplating suicide or having suicidal thoughts, please contact Lifeline on 131114. If you are in immediate danger, please call triple zero. Hello and welcome to another episode of the How to Love the Shit Out of Life podcast. Sally here as usual and I'm very excited to be sharing the latest episode with you all. Today's episode is about a charity called the Stay Kind Foundation and my guest is a man named Ralph Kelly. Ralph is the CEO and director of the Stay Kind Foundation, which he started several years ago along with his wife, Kathy, as a way to honor the legacies of their two sons, Thomas and Stuart, who are sadly no longer with us. You may be familiar with Ralph and his wife's story, uh, and it is one of great tragedy, but also incredible resilience and this ability to turn something so horrible into an absolute positive impact on other people's lives. I was very honored to get to talk to Ralph. I couldn't quite believe it when he said yes to having a chat with me. Uh, I'd been obviously following he and his wife's story for several years now. And uh, I'm very grateful that he gave up his time to talk to me about his charity and the legacy of his two boys. So I hope that you enjoy our conversation and remember to stay kind. Welcome to another episode of the How to Love the Shit Out of Life podcast. Today, I am joined by Ralph Kelly, CEO and director of the Stay Kind Foundation. The foundation promotes and encourages more kindness in everyday life and was created to honour the legacies of Ralph's two sons, Thomas and Stuart. I am honoured to have Ralph on the podcast to talk about the foundation and how he and his wife, Kathy, have turned the loss of their sons into an inspiring and positive movement. So welcome, Ralph. Thanks, Sally-Ann. It's great to be here. So lovely to have you. Uh, We're recording via Zoom. We're in two different parts of Sydney today, but um, as we said offline, Zoom's been the way to go uh, in 2020. So all good. It's still lovely to be able to chat to you and get to know a bit more about the foundation. So if you could start by telling us a little bit about the Stay Kind Foundation and what it aims to achieve. Uh, Sure. I'd have to go back in time slightly. So when our eldest son, eldest son Thomas um, was killed in King's Cross, we started a foundation in his name, which was the Thomas Kelly Youth Foundation. Mm. And it was to ensure that um, our children all got home safely from a night out, so on the streets of Sydney. So um, then, so Tom was 18 when he died. And then four years later in 2016, our youngest son Stuart, he took his life. Um, which was devastating. And I guess that moment was a bit of a tipping point for us, whether we shut down the foundation or continued or continued. And um, spent a lot of time thinking it through. And we had a lot of partnerships with our street program in Sydney. And uh, a lot of people depended on it um, and were dependent, um, you know, even our volunteers who, who come out every weekend. So I, um, we looked at rebranding the foundation 
Um, and we started to look at some global desktop research around why people bully. Um, why do we have narcissists? Why do we have violence? Why is youth suicide increasing? And it really kind of boiled down to one thing at the end, and that was um, if we don't have kindness, then people lack other values, uh, such as respect and empathy for other people. So we decided to continue with the foundation, but to rebrand it to stay kind. Um, one of our volunteers actually put that name forward to us because it was after Stuart's initials, SK. And so it kind of fitted in well. So we rebranded the foundation in July last year, um, which is 2019. Mm. And many people said, you know, why are you doing that? Because your foundation is so well known um, in Sydney and other parts. And it was kind of important for several reasons, but firstly for our daughter, Madeline, um, who now is 25, but um, if ever there was an incidence in the city around alcohol or things like that, Thomas's name would come up. And so uh, to safeguard her and her future, um, we decided to rebrand the foundation to stay kind. So, and that was really why we did it. So our focus now is on the prevention of the promotion of, um, of preventing bullying, um, hazing, violence, uh, narcissism and, um, and youth violence to, to actually lower, um, sorry, youth suicide to low uh, suicide rates in Australia. Fantastic. Have you been able to continue some of the work that the focus of the Thomas Kelly Foundation was as it's moved into Stay Kind or is it completely different work? Um, it, it's, it's no, our, our major program is on the streets of Sydney, which is in hibernation because of the, lock, because of the lockdowns at the moment. Um, whereby we have a street program that operates in Sydney every Friday and Saturday night from 10pm till 4am. And um, we have safe spaces, uh, Town Hall and in Darling Harbour. And our vision is to help young people or, or others who need help on the streets um, in the early hours of the morning. Um, and so we work very closely with the police, New South Wales Ambulance and the paramedics, the control centre under Town Hall. Um, to look after people who need help when they're out. So whether that's from sexual abuse, violence, self-harm, or they're just lost and need help getting home, our teams do that. And so in the four years that we've been running the program, we've had about 75,000 interventions, wow. uh, which all sliding door moments, the difference between a person's life continuing on as normal or, or you know, going somewhere nasty. So um, mm -hmm. it's a fantastic program. And you go out on the streets, the adrenaline's pumping through your body because you know we go down dark and laneways and you know places where you wouldn't normally go um to make sure that everyone's okay so it's it's been a success um it's in hibernation at the moment because uh, most of the venues are either very quiet or still closed um and so that that program still continues and we call that take care and it's, it's care with a k after thomas's initials um but that now slots under stay kind under the stay kind foundation Oh, that sounds amazing. I, I think about when I was going out for the first time when I was 18 and some of my friends' experiences when they were out in the city and I think, gosh, we could have done with the Stay Kind Foundation, you know, looking out for us in the all hours of the night. So uh, that sounds yeah, it, fantastic. Yeah, it's incredible. And the people that we help, you know, we're, we're non-judgmental. Uh, our sole vision is to work with the nightclubs, um, and venues so that we're working cooperatively um, mm. with them, make sure that if they have a young person that needs help, they know that they can call us and we'll be there to help that young person. Um, and until that young person is um, safe, we don't leave them. So if we have someone in a laneway or something like that, 
Um, we just make sure that we stay with them until their family or friend comes to pick them up. It's, it's an incredible program. It's very powerful. Um, our volunteers are just unbelievable because they turn up every weekend mm. and you know quite often they can be vomited over and um, and people don't say thank you very often but at the end of the night they know that they've made a difference and uh, by by them being kind um, they uh, they just come back and back and back it's it's quite amazing amazing yeah sounds wonderful you should come out selling them one day, I would right? love to I was just thinking <laughs> that hopefully when COVID settles down a little bit as you said and, and it's no longer in hibernation I would absolutely love that so on the podcast we like to talk a lot about joy and happiness how has the stay kind foundation and i guess the the work of the foundation overall since it started um, several years ago how has that brought you joy and happiness into our lives uh it's a really good question actually no one's asked me that it's 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 taken it's look it's very difficult i think when you lose children to um, either violence or suicide or um, accidental death or um, health reasons. Um, it takes a long time to kind of work out your place in the in the world. Mm. Um, you see people differently and um, the, the world becomes completely different. Um, it's, it's a matter of, and I think personally, I've chosen to think of the boys' lives as 18 years that I have with, with them that I wouldn't have had had they not been born. And so I try to um, uh, rejoice and think of the love that we all had for one another back then and move myself into the present rather than dwelling on the past. Um, I, ca I can't change it. And so it's really important to, um, you know, to look forward, and forward but not look backwards. Um, so that's really kept me going. In terms of happiness, it, it is... Um, it, it is difficult some days because, you know, you do in quiet moments, you think about the boys or we think about the boys. Um, and so that, that, you know, it can be, it can be difficult. I'm, I'm not going to um, sugarcoat it. It's, mm -hmm. It can be very, very different, but I guess what the foundation gives us is um, as, as it does to other people who've started charities, it gives you a sense of purpose, um, which is very powerful um, because in the past, I'd never done any charity work. I'd never, you know, my parents never introduced me to it. I, I really, I'd obviously heard about other charities, but never got mm. involved. And then, uh, you know, Tom's been gone now for eight years and I've spent the last eight years just giving and giving and giving. And it is incredibly powerful. And, and I think for all humans that if we can all realize that the sense of giving is more important than the sense of self-achievement and, um, that's a strong message, but um, when we get to the end of our lives, we should know that we've made a difference on the planet in a positive way rather than in a selfish way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a beautiful sentiment. How long after Tom's passing did you start the foundation? Was it pretty much straight away? Uh, no, look, um, I shut down completely. Um, <clears throat> I just sat in a, in a room for, you know, two, three months. I was just unable to really only ever spoke to the police in those days because it was you know about the homicide division mm. and the court case um com completely broken um i couldn't work um it wasn't a good time um we started to we met i started to meet a lot of people when i finally you know got my act together and uh literally it was four or five meetings every day trying to understand you know what had happened to sydney because when i was young it was a relatively safe place to walk around in late at night 
Yeah. And really met everyone from heads of industry to people in government. And um, in one meeting with Macquarie Bank, with one of the directors, um, he said to me, you know, you need to start a foundation, we need to make change. And um, earlier that day, I'd met with David Gonski and um, he, um, he said to me, please don't start a foundation. <laughs> it's so onerous that, you know, you've no idea what you're getting yourself into, but I guess um, I kind of live by, or I learn by making mistakes. <laughs> and, and so therefore, uh, after the Macquarie Bank meeting, I decided to start the foundation. So I guess the seed was born um, in 2013, a year after Tom died. And um, we started the foundation with kind of 10 areas that we wanted to achieve, um, which I thought would take us 10, 20 years. Mm. But, um, you know, the court case was going on in that period as well. And I think it elevated um, the awareness of what was going on in Sydney. And um, we achieved those 10 tasks in about 12 months. But it comes with its own complications because when most not-for-profits are started, you know, people... Um, have to write the constitution, get the governance in order, um, you know, find board members, etc. Whereas we were the other way around, we were kind of already halfway down the track, mm. but we had very little structure in place. And so uh, in the next two years, I had to go back and fix all of the structure that was uh, largely missing. But um, it, it was um, kind of inspirational to, to be able to have achieved so much in, in such a short space of time. Um, but people underestimate the amount of work in a not-for-profit. It is incredibly, yeah. there's a massive amount of work. I was doing like 17, 18 hour days, almost seven days a week in the beginning and, and for a long time. So it's, um, but your purpose drives you and your, and your passion drives you. Mm. I, I recently did an episode with um, a founder of another organisation. It's called the Just Be Nice Project. And he spoke a lot about how, you know, it, it is very fulfilling work and you have to have that purpose, but it's it's hard work. And, you know, I think sometimes people's perception of charity is, oh, you're just doing good and everything's fun and everything's easy. It's really not. So I take my hat off to you and everyone who has their own foundations. So um, yeah, no, thank, you. thank you. It, it is a lot of work. Look, I, I, I've met the Morecambe, you know, Bruce and Denise Morecambe a number of times. We're good friends now. And I said mm. to Bruce one day, in the early days when I first met him, I said, Michael, Bruce, you know, you guys do such a great job. You know, there's so much awareness around Australia about your foundation and the, and the great work you're doing. How many, you must have a, an army of people, you know, working with you. And he just looked at me and said, are you joking? It's <laughs> uh, the knees of myself and, and two others. And I said, are you kidding me, Bruce? And he goes, and he looked at me and said, but you must have an army of people because, you know, you've come out of nowhere so quickly and you're doing, you know, you're everywhere. And I said, Oh, well, actually, there's only two of us. Yeah. <laughs> so, what you see is not always what you get, you know. It's um, yeah, kind of smoke and mirrors in, in not-for-profits because people do work hard and it's it's difficult to, be, you know, to get people not so much to join you, but, you know, you do have to pay good staff, which is kind of underestimated in the community. They hope that mm. every dollar goes to the cause, but that's, you know, it's not, not always possible. Yes, yes. Admin fees are necessary. I have worked for a not-for-profit before, oh, so I understand yeah. that pain. <laughs> So going back to the concept of kindness, you know, you've spoken about how in your research and when you were doing the rebrand of the foundation, everything was coming back to kindness. So I wanted to pick your brain a little bit as to what kindness means and looks like to you. Uh, look, it's very multifaceted and it's, you know, when we talk about kindness, we, um, we're talking about communities, uh, families, obviously parents and children, 
um, organisations, um, um, sporting groups. It really goes across every every um, segment, and um, and kindness is really about thinking about other people, um, and an, and an act of kindness um, not only will make the person who gives kindness feel better, uh, but obviously the receiver and the receiver. Um, Will normally pass on that kindness two or three times so it has a ripple effect um, but again it's it's a sense of helping other people before you help yourself so you know what do we mean by that it means that every day that you wake up um, you know already that you're going to help somebody and you're going to be kind to somebody else so when you get out of bed you're going to be present and in the moment all day so rather than you know drifting off you know speaking on your iphone or or going into a coffee shop and and you know being on facebook etc all those kind of things is that you'll observe other people if you see somebody struggling you'll actually go up and you're off your you're off your hand to help them mm. and probably nine times out of ten that person will accept and so what we say, you know, when the population of Australia hit 25 million um, Aussies, um, I got my calculator out one day and I thought, well, if we all did one act of kindness for 365 days, you know, what does that come to? And uh, it was 9.1 billion acts of kindness. Wow. And I think, you know, we read in the press, Australians, um, you know, we don't treat our emergency services particularly well. We, know we, don't, we don't treat our police force well. Um, our paramedics are being attacked on the street. Uh, emergency departments and hospitals um, have um, high rates of violence happening in them, you know, towards the staff and other patients. And so I kind of think, wow, we, we actually collectively all need to conscientiously understand that we all play a role in this. We all play a part in changing um, the culture through our values. And um, simple things like please and thank you obviously are a start because, you know, quite often we don't even say that. You know, if we're driving in a car that we let the person in in front of us who's, who's indicating that they want to come into our lane, all those simple things and obviously, you know, and obviously bigger things as well. But it's um, it's not difficult to uh, to do kind acts. And we've called it Stay Kind Foundation because it's not a matter of being kind and, and occasionally doing something kind for somebody else. It's a matter of actually staying kind. You, you're uh, every day and every moment within that day, you're going to stay kind. And, um, and do kind acts for other people. Mm. It's such a beautiful message. And I think, <clears throat> as you were saying, you know, there are bigger acts of kindness that we can do, but I think it's also those little ones are, if not more important, but just as important as the bigger ones. I think that's such an important message to put out there. It really is. And, and as I said, you know, it makes you feel so much better. You know, quite often if I'm putting petrol in my car, I just look around to see who else is in the station. And, you know, frequently there are, you know, some quite old people, you know, struggling to put air in their tyres or petrol into their tank. And I'll immediately put, you know, stop what I'm doing, go over and say, can I help you? And they mm. kind of look in shock. Um, likewise with police on the street, if I walk past, you know, if I walk past police, um, I say good morning or good afternoon and thank you for what you're doing. And they kind of look at me in horror because mm. um, nobody thanks them. And so you kind of think... You know, when we need someone in a in a in a time of need, you know, we call the police. But and every day they put on their uniforms, as did the paramedics and uh, our fire engine people, and um, they put their lives at risk, and they do that for us. And I think as a community, it's really important that we acknowledge um, not only emergency services but everybody. But you know, when we're walking past these people in the street, we should say, "Hey, thanks." Mm. 
Absolutely. I think I'm going to take a leaf out of your book today. I've got to go fill the car up with petrol a little later. So <laughs> yeah, look, look around. <laughs> um, what are you most proud of when you think about what the foundation has achieved? Um, and even if we're going back to when it was the Thomas Kelly Foundation or something more recent, you know, what makes you really proud when you think about the foundation? Um, I think uh, when you lose um, a child, more, more of a child, you know, I've lost both my parents, but they both had, you know, fairly long lives and good lives. And that's the circle of life. But I think when you lose a child, you start to forensically look at, you know, what could we be doing better? So when Tom died, you know, I spent a lot of time advocating to the state government, New South Wales state government for the changes, multiple changes. And one of those was, you know, because... I couldn't work when Thomas was killed, so I had my own business, but I just I just let it go almost. And um, I soon couldn't even pay the local council fees, which were $500. So mm. literally the money in the bank had gone down to almost zero. And um, the more you meet a lot of people when you, when you lose a child, you, you know, you go to different roundtable talks and discussions for various um, subjects. And... I met a lot of people who'd um, suffered violence and the more I spoke to them and the more I realised that they were kind of in the same same position as I was. They couldn't pay their bills. And, and, and this is also domestic violence as well. So people who have been, who have suffered domestic violence, um, you, you pay your own medical bills. So the offender doesn't pay it. So um, mm. many of these people had suffered domestic violence, couldn't pay their medical bills, had no money in the bank anymore because they, they couldn't go back to work because of their injuries and we were being pursued um, by credit companies. And I was speaking to my, I was living in the Southern Highlands at the time, and I was speaking to my next door neighbor who was a farmer. And I said, you know, this is terrible. Um, we're not asking for uh, our debts to be waived. We're just asking time, you know, to get back on our feet. And, and that time could be five, 10 years. And he said to me, you know, Ralph, did you know that um, farmers in droughts get, um, um, they pay the lowest interest rates on their mortgages. It's provided by the banks to make sure that they can they can that they can carry on. I said I didn't know that. So I called the Attorney General at the time, Brad Hazard, who's now the Health Minister. I said, you know, Brad, can I come and see you? I've got this idea. And so I, he said, yeah, look, come in. So we had a meeting, and I said, wouldn't it be good if um, wherever there's a debt, whether it's with the ATO or a credit card company or a mortgage, you know, through their bank that somehow that debt could just be held and uh, you're not paying interest, but it's recognised that you're, you've suffered severely in the past through some kind of tragedy. And he said, I love it. Um, so he wrote to all the utility companies and banks. Um, then there was a change of premium. Mike Baird came in uh, and Gabrielle Upton then became the, uh, the AG. And she called me one night and said, look, Brad's handed over this file. I think it's fantastic. I'm, I'm going to continue with it. And um, the state government introduced um, this program for victims of violence. And um, I, came, I was coming back on the train and I phoned Kathy, who was at home at the time, and I said, you know, if we don't do anything else, yeah. I, I think this is the most important thing that we've, we've done to help other people because, you know, with domestic violence, I said to the Attorney General, how many people are registered for domestic violence each year? And she said to me about 65,000 people are registered through the Department of Justice as victims. And, and that's really the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. You know, obviously, there's, there's a lot, lot more than that. But, and, you know, so people who are in a severe distress, as in financially, uh, are now able to get support. Um, whereas in the past, you, you couldn't. You would be hounded by the ATO to pay your bills and credit cards and mortgages, et cetera. So 
uh, you know, to me, that's probably one of the biggest differences that we've been able to make. That's incredible. And I think also there'd be a lot of people that wouldn't know that that's available to them. So the more that we can put that out there, I think the better, as you said, because oh, obviously the violence, uh, domestic violence in particular, statistics in this country are horrific. So that's so important. It is. And, and in the early days with Brad Hazard, he said to me, um, oh, you know, some of the banks have got back to me and, and said that they have these, um, these programs in place. And I said to Brad, well, how do you apply for them? And he goes, oh, the banks train their frontline staff to kind of detect people who are in grief. And I said to him, you know, um, Brad, if, if, you know, when I walk into a bank, um, you know, the tellers are normally quite young. Sorry, and I'm actually generalising when I say that, but I'm not walking into the bank crying. Mm. And so there's no way that they can detect grief and probably 80, 90% of the people who are suffering grief, you know, people hide it. And he said, I agree with you. But um, anyway, it, it went through. So it was um, a really good initiative for the New South Wales State Government. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, have there been any highlights or campaigns um, that the foundation has worked on that have really stood out for you? I know you guys have been very uh, involved with the NRL. There's a round uh, that's played for the Stay Kind Foundation, if I've got that correct. Uh, yeah, we did. We did have that, but um, mm. we didn't have it this year because we've been working on other programs with Stay Kind. Um, it, it was it was a great way to get the message out there, and um, it was great to actually see how the NRL worked, to be honest with you, both at a head office level, but at a club level as well, mm. and at a player level. Um, and I remember once, um, I can't remember if it was uh, last year or the year before the Eels, I can't remember who they are playing, that's terrible. Um, but Tim Manor, who's the captain of the Eels, we were standing at the stage um, um, and we are about to give him the cup. Mm. And um, he said to me, I'm so delighted. He whispered in my ear, I'm so delighted to be doing this. I said, Tim, you know, thank you for your support. He said, I'm doing it for your daughter, Madeline. And um, I guess you could take that two ways. But the way I took it was that, um, wasn't it fantastic that um, he saw a young woman who'd lost two brothers and wanted to do everything he possibly could to support her, which was, um, it was nice. It was really nice. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. So how would you like to see the Stay Kind Foundation evolve in the future? So I guess there's two ways. Firstly, at the front end, you know, we talk about, about kindness and we talk about staying kind and we do community programs. So in July, both the boys lost their lives in July. And so we have a month of kindness called Kind July when they died. Um, and that's to really um, amplify the message. So we've got some amazing media partners um, from digital, you know, billboards all over Australia to print, media, to radio and television. So we get the message out through those partners, which is quite staggering, um, um, which is, and it's great, really good. Um, obviously, this year, we haven't been able to do any functions uh, or campaigns, uh, but um, we have an, an ambassador in Newcastle called Michelle Boundy, who um, in July walked for kindness uh, every day and through LinkedIn, she asked people to walk with her, you know, complete strangers, um, which went really, really well. And then um, last weekend in um, last Friday, it was World Kindness Day, 30 November. And I went up to Newcastle to be with Michelle as she walked 50 kilometres. And um, the support has been amazing. So we've had the Lord Mayor of Newcastle support us, the Vice Chancellor of the University of Newcastle and the locals. 
And, um, you know, this year we wanted to invite the whole of Newcastle to walk for kindness, but obviously with COVID we couldn't. So we're mm. hoping that uh, next year, 30 November 2021, that we can really invite the whole community in Newcastle to, you know, to come out and walk. Um, it's so important that um, we, we show the support for each other. I really can't overemphasise that, that part that... Um, you know, it starts with us. Uh, mm. We can't rely on other people to change the world. Everything starts with us. That's the front end of the foundation. Mm -hmm. And as I was saying before, you know, when you lose a child, you kind of forensically look at everything. Uh, so when Stuart, you know, took his life, I knew if I fell over again, I'd never get up again. And I said to Kathy, I can't, I mustn't stop work. I've got to keep on going because the grief is so overpowering, it would have destroyed me completely on the second time. Uh, so I kind of kept working and started to look at what's not being done in terms of kindness and youth suicide. So uh, we came up with um, four projects, uh, major projects, social, major global social impact they would make. So these are uh, projects that haven't been done in, the, in suicide. Yeah. And um, so what we've been doing is kind of trunching the streets of Sydney meeting very large corporations and talking to them about staying kind in their organisations, um, but also the potential of them funding us for these projects. So um, I can't talk about them because what we try to do is keep them under wraps so that we can we can get them done and 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 started. Um, we have received funding for one of the for one of these projects, um, and it's about violence in a school out west. So. In the beginning, when Tom died, we started to do presentations in schools, and we still do do them. Actually, Kathy does that, and um, you know, mainly it was schools on the North Shore or Eastern Suburbs. And I remember Barrow O'Farrell's chief of staff said to me one day, "You know, why are you doing the private schools? Why you should be you should be out west where I went to school, where they've got real issues with violence." Uh, so anyway, about I don't know eight or nine months ago, a principal of a school out west called me and said, "Look, I've tried to do everything, so I'm calling you because your foundation is exactly what we need in our school. Mm. Um, would you like to work with us? We have violence through every year." And um, we said, "Absolutely." So we start at the end of this month. It's a three-year project to work with them. It will take longer, and the principal knows that. It'll take about five to six years to change the culture within the school. Um, but we're delighted that we can work with a school and hopefully make a big difference. And uh, I met with him the other day and he said, oh, there's at least four other schools in our area who I've told about this and all want to come on board as well. Um, and that, he said, I'd prefer to do our school. And I said, yeah, I, I agree. Let's just do your school rather than, mm. and then if it works with you, we can um, we can take it to other schools around Australia as well. So that's that's one of the projects and the others, are equally as exciting and um, in many cases much, much bigger than that one. Yeah, and I think the problem is, you know, when you look at violence, <clears throat> you know, more than more often than not, it starts at home, mm. uh, you know, with the parents with domestic violence. And for a young child, that becomes the norm. It, they, they see it, um, you know, when you're young, when you're born into the world, you, you, um, you receive love because you're a baby and you, you really don't have to do much for the next, you know, six or seven years and, <laughs> and people take you because they love you mm. as, as, as a little person. But unfortunately, if that first, you know, six, seven years is, um, is distorted in some way by um, unkindness, it affects your entire life. And so it's absolutely imperative that we do get into families and, um, and young children. And I, no, I'm, all, I'm all over the place, Sally, and I do apologize. But, oh, that's okay. Uh, I met Greg Page, the uh, original Yellow Wiggle, um, a few months ago. And 
we spent a couple of hours together and it was an extraordinary meeting. Um, uh, he's the most lovely person you could ever meet. Um, and uh, we talked about early childhood education. He said, you know, we really need to start educating children at a very early age about being kind. And so I took my opportunity and said to him, you know, Greg, would you consider writing a song for Stay Kind? And he and I kind of gingerly asked it because I, you know, I recognise who he is and he's known globally. And <laughs> you know, I, I'm now 60 years old and I, I feel like I've and I've known him for 26 years because Tom would have been 26. And um, and he just looked back at me and said, absolutely. And so he wrote us a song for World Kindness Day around staying kind. Um, and it's the most extraordinary song. It's it's aimed at younger children. Um, and it goes for about three and a half minutes. Uh, it's on our website, it's on our Facebook page, but it's just an incredible song about kindness. And I think if as parents uh, or as friends of people who have kids that we can start to educate them at that early age, that even if they're in the playground and they see you know, someone sitting on their own or is shyer or is a little bit different, that we're educating them, you know, they're not different. Um, they're exactly the same as you and I. And we, you should go over and you should talk to them and invite them to play and and uh, and enjoy what they have to give. So um, all of this is so important. And, and I know I keep on kind of, you know, repeating myself, but, you know, we have to understand that we can get up every day and be grumpy or be grumpy during the day and think that we're having a hard day, but really it takes more effort to be grumpy than it does to be kind or stay kind. So, you know, when we go down the path of, of being bolchy and grumpy, we should think, you know, why am I doing this? Reverse that. I need to smile and I need to stay kind and show kindness. Um, so we're coming to the end of the podcast, although I, I do think we could talk okay. for hours. <laughs> <we're up. laughs> but I always like to get my guests to sum up the topic uh, at, that we've discussed on the episode. So in summary, how do you love the shit out of the Stay Kind Foundation and I guess kindness in general? Um, it's really about being in the moment, um, which is what I said before. It's about staying present. Um, you know, if you go to a coffee shop or a restaurant, you look around nowadays and you might have four or five people sitting there and they're all looking at their phones. And that's not staying in the moment and it's not being present. So um we need to get back to basics and we need to start to, um, to communicate better, uh, to talk about other people, to listen um, and not provide advice, not judge, um, but just to be an ear to other people. Um, and if they ask for advice then obviously give it, but um, yeah, it's just about changing the way we see the world and how we see other people. You know, quite often we stick to our own peer groups. So we form opinions which may or not or may not be right. Um, and so it's good to speak to lots of different people um, who aren't in your in your social groups to understand what makes this world tick. Um, quite often you might actually learn something. So that's my summation about how to love the shit out of life. <laughs> <laughs> so what other things do you love the shit out of, Ralph? Uh, well, I, I kind of... Um, um, I love um, I love being by the ocean, and uh, I like photography. I, I don't get enough time to do it. Um, sailing, you know, my dad taught me to sail at a very early age when I was very young. I was very fortunate, um, and I think you know, being with um, with friends and family is very important. And um, you know, all the things which um, which make you happy, you know, do things that make you happy. Really good book spend time investing in yourself so that you can love yourself 
And uh, if you can love yourself, then you'll find that life brings happiness to you. So finally, how can people follow and get in touch with the Stay Kind Foundation? Uh, great question. I should have said that before, but thank you for that. <laughs> um, so our website is staykind.org. Um, we've got an amazing patron. Um, the Governor-General of Australia, David Hurley, is our patron. Um, and that was interesting because I was at a Christmas party that he was at one day and he'd been out on our safe space with Linda, his wife, and they'd stayed till two o'clock in the morning, which was very impressive. That was when he was the Governor of New South Wales. And anyway, at this Christmas party, he said, you know, how's the foundation going? What are you doing? I said, oh, David, we're about to um, rebrand it. And he asked me what to, and I said, I'd stay kind. And he said, please come and see me. I want to be a part of it. Um, as Australians, we all need more kindness. And he said, I really want to be a part of it. Anyway, it kind of transformed that David then became governor, uh, sorry, became patron of our foundation. And um, he's the most generous, giving, humble person you could meet, wanting to make a huge difference, um, you know, to this country. And, um, and I know he absolutely will. So um, there are some great people out there, some, some very, very kind people. It, it's another world, you know, get involved in, in a not-for-profit in your local area, help others, so much that we can all be doing. Um, there are people less fortunate, there always will be. And it's up to all of us to actually do what we can do. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing the story of the Stay Kind Foundation. Um, I have no doubt that your two boys would be very proud of what you guys are doing. And, um, yeah, I look forward to coming out one night when uh, the charity comes out of the hibernation and, and, you know, meeting all the wonderful volunteers and seeing the work that you do. So thank you again. Yeah, no, Sonia, thank you. It's been a, a great um, few minutes chatting to you. And, um, yeah, it's been a great interview. I really thank you for that. <laughs>